Welcome to Clean Break, the weekly divorce podcast. We share the stories and experiences of divorce professionals. Find all the answers about the many complex questions about divorce and separation at divorcenet.ca. Hi again, everyone. I'm Darren Javog, uh, chair of DivorceNet and host of Clean Break, the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for everybody tuning in today, listening, getting some of the great advice that we have on this show. And we have a great guest today. And of course, I have the most amazing co-host, Tina Murray. How are you, Tina, today? I am great. Thanks, Darren. Awesome. So what do we got going today? Really excited about our guests today. Uh, We have uh, Rob and Beth Andrus. They are from Street Safe Self-Defense Training Company. And so I have invited you guys today to to talk about uh, lots of things. I think we're going to have a a really intense uh, program this morning. So thank you so much for joining us. No, thanks for having us in. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Tell us a little bit about uh, about your training and, and, and who you are. Well, a little bit about me. Um, I'm a dual black belt holder in two different styles of Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. The first style that I certified and ranked in is called Nihongo Shin, and it was actually a a form of um, Jiu-Jitsu that was studied by the samurai. The lacking with that, obviously, I mean, today I can't walk down the street with a 32-inch long katana. (laughs) I'll be arrested. Right. (laughs) So um, with that, I mean, even that studying of that art, really didn't fulfill my need to understand true self-defense on the street. And I ended up meeting a, a man a few years ago who is a Soki. He, he's the head of a family of an art uh, in jiu-jitsu called Ningulam. And um, when I met him, he was very gracious with me, very humble, took me into his own home, and has since made me part of his family. Uh, and that was where my uh, second ranking ended up coming through was through that studying of Ningbo Lam. And Ningbo Lam is a very modern form of jiu-jitsu. And it's a very compassionate form of jiu-jitsu as well. Um, the first style I learned would be intended to literally ragdoll someone when I was protecting them, breaking bones, hurting them, locking them up, that type of thing. Ningbo Lam is very compassionate, it's very quick, and it's very sudden, and it's over fast. And that really becomes the true form of what self-defense is today in today's world. There's no rules today. Mm. Uh, anything happens on the street, people will pull weapons on you without thinking about it. Absolutely. We have a, a, a problem happening right now in our society where youths are carrying knives and they think it's a, it's a fun thing to stab people with them. Um, that, that's, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, once I ended up going through my studying of Ningbo Lam, um, Beth has had an experience, and that again fueled me to start educating myself on not what went wrong with Beth's training, but what happened with Beth in her experience and the training she had already received became totally non functional for her. So let's talk about Beth's training. Certainly. Uh, go ahead, hon. Um, so I as well have studied both forms of jujitsu. Um, received a brown belt in my in the first um, art and uh, made it to a blue belt so far in my second art. Um, felt uh, very um, empowered and capable and able to deal with any kind of threat that I may have encountered in any way, shape, or form. Hmm. And yet, 
and yet um, I was a sexual assault victim. Um, I wasn't raped, but I was assaulted and my training completely went out the window and I basically did nothing to defend myself mm. at all at the time. Um, you People don't know and don't understand what the body and the brain go through when you are attacked or mm -hmm. when you're subjected to something that you're not prepared for. And um, afterwards, you know, I really beat myself up, you know, when it was over thinking, I should have, I'm trained mm -hmm. to, I could have, I know how to, that guy should have been, you know, over my shoulder and on the floor, according to my training. Right. Um, but Tina, that's not what the body does. And that's not how the body reacts all the time. Would you say that the training that you had prior to that was more like because you're in a classroom and it's a perfect setting and you're prepared for what's going to happen, would that have contributed to, you know, why, why you believe that you didn't react the way you wanted it could. to? Yeah. Um, you know, when you're training, the world is not a dojo, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So when you're training, you're training in the dojo with a partner who knows what's coming, mm -hmm. um, with a partner who knows you have to go to work tomorrow you know, all those things. So the techniques that we learn in the dojo, uh, we practice at a, a percentage, you know, not 100% of what we're actually fully capable of with a willing partner who knows what's coming. And you you know what's coming as well. Mm -hmm. um, again, that's not the real world and that's not the way things happen. So, all right. you know. So let's talk about what changed. So, Well, when Beth went through that, I mean, I... I I, again, it became something that I needed to, to understand uh, why and how. How did that happen and why? Um, and I, and I, today, my understanding of martial arts is totally different from what it was five, six years ago. Um, I believe today the, the martial arts that we see being offered to people today have been washed down so much that it's become... Um, more palatable for people to pay money to learn. Mm -hmm. I truly think that the actual uh, ruggedness of the self-defense aspect of martial arts have been taken out okay. and they've been making it palatable for people in North America. Mm -hmm. um, that is not the jujitsu I've learned from my soki um, and that is a good thing. Where I went after best experience is I needed to, to educate myself and I ended up reaching out and made contact with a fellow named Chris Roberts. And Chris is a world leader in self-defense for the last 25 years. He's traveled around the world um, teaching people and making them understand how to de-escalate high violent contact. Um, and through my, my education with Chris uh, and my training with Chris, I've uh, been fortunate enough to meet uh, an individual named Rich Dimitri. Rich is actually ranked in the top 20 toughest men in the world. Wow. Uh, and Rich is a very small man. Mm. Um, and his tactics and techniques that uh, I have learned, um, we refer to them as a human style of self-defense. Mm -hmm. um, we don't want to put a word to it, a branding to it. it it's human. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very highly effective. Um, it's very violent, but it, the training of it uh, is we, we, um, we pressure test our, our people who come through our programs. So they go through a training session through techniques and understanding what those techniques are. And where it becomes different 
is they're now facing a man that might be six foot tall, 210 pounds, in a full combat outfit, and they get attacked. Right. And their attack system, uh, although it's safe for them, they're now experiencing what it's like to have a full-on raging street attack. Right. Now they learn how to defend it. They've taken the techniques that they've learned. And in best case, now it doesn't only empower them, but now they get it. They understand it, that what I've learned here works. It's quick. It's fast. I can recall it. Mm -hmm. There's no finite movement in it. There's nothing here that's going to make me forget. It's all based on what your natural human response would be. Mm -hmm. If I went to reach out and hit you, your hands are going to come up. And the, the pure and applied self-defense is all based on that, on what your, your natural ability would be, what things that you would naturally grab to or go gravitate towards if you were found yourself in a high violent contact. Rather than do something that you had to train your body to do. That's, That's right. right. Okay. That's well, that makes sense. Right. That makes mm -hmm. sense, right? Because, like, mm -hmm. I know, I know, when I was in the military, they always uh, tried to teach us about um, muscle memory. You know, like you had to train to do something over and over, and like like ten thousand times of doing the same mm -hmm. thing before your brain would say, "Okay, this is something. When this happens, this is what you need to do." But if you're not doing it like ten thousand times. You're That's not right. training yourself to do that. So I like the fact that you're just basically saying, you know, this is how you would normally deal with it. So you've eliminated like yep. a lot of, of the thinking process. It's just a reaction. You, know, you so. have to remember too that <clears throat> under the stress of the threat of violence, everything kind of may go out the window. Mm -hmm. right. So even though you are trained for it and have trained for it 10,000 times, again, you're training in a setting that is, um, you know, easily allowing you to recall what your technique is going to be. Mm -hmm. But when it actually happens, what does your body do? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, uh, this show, we get, you know, we've done, seen the statistics and it's about 70, 70% of the listeners are actually women. Yep. Uh, and and th somewhere, I think it's right in the, the sweet spot, is like 30 to 55 is that age demographic that predominantly listens and we were up to almost 3,000 listeners. So speaking to that demographic, mm -hmm. right? Tell us a little bit about the benefits of what you're teaching or what you, this is what you teach people, right? So speaking to that demographic, like what are some of the benefits of what you're doing and how you're training them? Well, the, the training, um, it's entirely realistic. It's all entirely fact-based. Um, and we get into starting off from de-escalation techniques. Okay. Obviously, okay. I mean, the last thing that we ever want to see uh, a human do is step into a high violent contact. And our perception from what we take from that are movies like Jason Bourne and John Wick. And I love those movies. Well, they're, they're exciting, right? <laughs> but the, if you think about it, you know, John Wick in his movie gets hit and shot at I don't know, three, four hundred times, and he yeah. never seems to go to the ground. And the reality of true violence is, I mean, people get hit once and it can kill them, yeah. cause mental damage to them. I mean, I know a young boy today who he can't function, mm -hmm. and he was hit once. Mm -hmm. um, so what we try and bring to people is their realization and understanding of what violence truly is and how bad it can hurt the human body and how fragile this, mm -hmm. this vessel we're in actually truly is. Um, and trying to get them to understand that physical contact is, is the last option that you ever want to get into. Mm -hmm. And if you can de-escalate a situation, 
de-escalate it. So what we try and do is we talk to them about what social violence is, mm -hmm. give them an understanding of what social violence is. And then generally in 98% of the cases, we can de-escalate that, right? right. right. Kenny gets mad at me for some reason if I have you know, that much empathy. And that's another problem that we have in our society today. Empathy and understanding what someone who's mad at us is going through is almost a, an impossible thing to do. It's all about us. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If we just took a second and tried to be a little empathetic, maybe Tina's upset at me because I scratched her car that, that day and, you know, she doesn't want to come right out and tell me what it is. But if I look at her and say, what is it that I've done to hurt you, Tina? What, what have I upset you over? Or maybe like, it's something that happened earlier in the day that has nothing that to do with you. Early. Yeah, it you know could. what I mean. And like, those those happen, right? One yeah. in two hundred Canadians, and that's a known factor, right on the verge of blowing up. And it happens from things happening in the morning. Right. I get out of bed and I spilled coffee on myself. I got into my car and I forgot my key in the house. I got to the office and somebody I didn't like spoke to me. And the Tim Hortons drive-through. They're all sugar that, in my coffee. That in itself is a rage, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we we try and talk about social violence. And, and how to de-escalate those situations and how to understand them. And I mean, based on the level of the, the raging that's involved in the social violence, it, it has different, different techniques that need to be used. And one of the best ones, believe it or not, is looking at the person who's upset at you and whether you did it or not, just saying, you know what, I'm sorry, I certainly didn't mean to upset you. That's and that and enough can yeah. sometimes often stop that rage. Yep. For them to go, okay, you filled my ego. You said you're sorry to me. And you know what? That's it. It's over. And if I have to say I'm sorry to you for something I didn't do and ensure I'm not going to get beaten up for it, I'm going to tell you I'm sorry. I like this guy. You can stay. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I invited him. <laughs> I, 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 I like, no, I, 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 I totally, totally buy into everything you just said. Because I think many, many times ego is what is one of the hardest things to get past mm -hmm. in, in everything in life. Like whether you're doing business or whether you're in a personal situation, ego is one of the, one of the things that is a blocker on almost every relationship if you let it be one. And, and you need to, like humility is so important to me. Like I, I believe in humility and I believe in what you're saying is, is sometimes trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes and just accept the fact that it might not be you is so hard for people to get past right. sometimes. And, and before we went live, you started talking about that. We kind of cut you off because we wanted yeah. to, you know. <laughs> so you said something previously that, you know, when Beth experienced the assault, you had to realize that it wasn't about Beth. Yeah. It was about the other person. And, well, and you know what? That's a hard thing to do. And, and I'm going to tell you when, when that happened to Beth, um, and, and I, I don't want to make that, but I'm going to talk about the male perception with that. Um, when Beth went through her experience, and, and I have known women in the past who have had those experiences, but because they were never close to me, I could never understand it. Okay. I could never see the pain that Beth went through. Mm -hmm. I could never see the confusion that that caused in her. And the one part of it, the one part of it that made me so friggin' mad was the day she looked at me with tears in her face and said, maybe I did something wrong. Mm. And that killed me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, through our understanding now today of violence and what it is, I understand today that what happened to Beth, and I hate to say, well, it's not, I don't hate it, it's the truth. 
any time a sexual assault occurs on, on a woman or, or a male, it's not, the vic- it's not about the victim. It's about the predator. Mm. It's about the predator filling their own ego and their own need to see that fear and intimidation in that, that poor person that they've decided to put their hands on to. Mm. And, and that, that's the part of it that took so long for me to understand it. And I mean, when, when a sexual assault victim has an incident or an occurrence or they get through an attack, they don't understand that. They, they question, why did it happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? Did I do something wrong? Was I in the wrong place? Was I wearing the wrong clothing? And it just goes on and on and on. And the reality is it had nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I know better. Mm-hmm. I know better. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm aware of of things that women go through, you know, when they're assaulted. And I know it's not your fault. I know it doesn't matter what you're wearing. Nobody has the right to assault you. That's the logic. So how did you get through that then? Like knowing it and and feeling it it and believing it. It took me at least two weeks to to process it and, and, and get over it and get through it. And which is a relatively short amount of time. I would think it was, um, and I had somebody to, right. you know, support me through it and, and bounce everything off of. Um, and, and like I said, I, I knew I shouldn't be thinking those things because that's not the way it is. Mm-hmm. But the, I, it was almost like going through stages. It's almost right? like stages grief. of grief. It yeah, was, I was absolutely say. 100% mm-hmm. something I could relate that to was first the shock, then the anger, then the, wait a minute. What did I do? It's my fault. Right. Wow. And then the, you know, all of it. And um, I did end up reporting it. Um, I was fortunate enough that Rob was supportive enough to be able to say, you know, come on, I'll come with you. You have to report this to the police. And um, the, I, I was really hesitant because you have to be very descriptive about what happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are they going to understand that? Are they going to blame me? Are they going to ask me what I was wearing? Wow. Are they going to minimize it? You know, so you go through all that. Um, the officer that dealt with me was wonderful. He, it was it was uh, a good experience. Um, we found out afterwards that uh, there were a few other women who had experienced the same assault from the same man. Wow. wow. And part of the reason that kind of pushed me forward to be able to report it was knowing that um, assaults escalate. You know, they, they get away with something and they, they need, their ego needs more. <clears throat> it right? keeps leveling up. Yes. It's, and it does. my concern yeah. was uh, knowing... You won't be the last. And what if it's a child? Mm-hmm. What if it was a 14-year-old girl? What if it was a 10-year-old girl? What if it was, you know, somebody who was more fragile than me that, you know, didn't handle it mm-hmm. and, and move forward? Beth, you might ask you a question. Um, so... From your perspective, so what are some of the things that you did, or how did you cope with that? So, what, tell me, tell tell the listeners a little bit about what are some of the things that that you did to help mitigate the, all those feelings that you're just talking about. What what is it that they make they could do, or what is it you did to try to? I had to talk about it. I had to tell Rob what I was feeling. I had to. Sometimes. You had a lot of crying moments too. I cried. Going through those okay. I did. a lot. And, yeah. you know, I didn't shut down. So so don't keep it all inside. 
definitely share what you're feeling. Um, one of the things our brain does is our brain processes things differently when we speak them out loud mm -hmm. than when we think them and it internalizes them. Absolutely. So if you if you speak it out mm -hmm. loud and you tell somebody, I don't care if you have to tell three people or ten people before you feel like you got it out, talk about it, don't keep it in. Um, and, oh, go ahead. Okay. Knowing that I wasn't the only one helped mm -hmm. me too, um, but I, I definitely did a lot of talking about it and explaining and you know, you. not, not, not crying. Yep. So just before we're going to, we're going to wrap it up for today, but we're going to have you right back for another show. Okay. So, um, so keep your thoughts cause we're coming right back. All right. Okay. Okay. So, right. So we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Actually, before we yeah. go, why don't you tell us how people can get a hold of you if it's a business? So is it a business? Do you run a business for us? Uh, we do. We, we do, um, we do a lot of private training one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, post-sexual contact, um, pre-sexual contact. We do uh, private training for individuals who are traveling to high-risk countries. Um, we do training under Safe International for corporate clients as well, um, who are in high-risk professions also. And we, we do um, traveling to schools. That's actually how I broke my nose yesterday. I was in a high school. We're waiting for the black eyes. Yeah, I was, I was in a high school yesterday uh, doing some training with some young girls as, um, in learning how to protect themselves and understanding sexual attacks and, and, you know, how to deal with those kind of things. Okay, so how do we get a hold of you? Oh, uh, right on my cell phone number. Okay. Sorry, we're, we're yeah. online yeah. Okay. at www.streetsafeselfdefense.com. And you can call uh, my cell at any time at 613-340-8002. And we Excellent. will put a link on DivorceNet yeah, to, we'll your, to your the, website as well. I'll put it on the directory. Just jump in real quick for a minute. Um, our training is for everybody. So people that don't want to go to the gym three times a week and learn how to do, you know, kickboxing or boxing or don't want to train in a dojo and learn martial arts kind of thing our training is for everybody regardless of age physical abilities everybody deserves and needs to know how to defend yourself it is a critical life skill regardless of you know your situation your personal situation so that's important okay. well that was great thanks for joining us yeah. thank you You've been listening to Clean Break, our weekly podcast on divorce. You can find this and other great advice from divorce professionals at divorcenet.ca, where we upload audio, video, and blog content every week. Divorcenet.ca, clear and simple divorce advice from trusted local professionals.